and those of you who don't know me. And on behalf of Beck and my wife, I want to say thank you again for such a warm welcome and hosting and your hospitality. The Krakens keep inviting us back. I don't know. It's a blessing for us. We haven't worn them out yet, I guess. But uh, on behalf of ourselves and um, Nono and Kate and Mario and Kayla and Ruth, who's not here, just want to say thank you for the terrific hospitality you've given us. It takes a lot to put on a conference like this. I've, um, I've been in charge of a few of these in different locations, and I know the work is involved. Um, but I want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. It's been, a, been another great weekend at Bruton. Thank you. Our text this morning is taken from the first chapter of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. We'll be looking at the keynote verse, is verse 8. And I've entitled this message, From Jerusalem to Bruton. The intentional spread of the good news. From Jerusalem to Bruton, the intentional spread of the good news. In this first chapter of Acts, which is a, a, a passage of scripture that is read, I'm sure, often at... Um, uh, missionary conferences and teachings, and there are many things that come out of this passage, such as uh, Jesus said, um, this is right, this first part of the chapter, just before his ascension, 40 days from the, before the, from the crucifixion until his ascension, a 40-day period where he showed himself alive to the apostles, if you can imagine. It wasn't you were here just an hour or two, and then he was gone after he resurrected, or three days. He, 40 days he was among them. It's fab- fabulous. And then we read about the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's talked about. We talk about the uh, geographical spread of the good news. We'll look at that here in a moment in verse 8. But there's a word that comes out to me as, in preparation for this message this morning that I've never considered before. It, just, it comes out through this text in a way that I just, I love to grab it. And it's the word intentional. Intentional. It's the intentional spread of the good news. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I'm not going to read up to verse 8. Um, let's look at verse 4, after this introduction to the book in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In verse 4, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And starting in verse 6, we get this ascension passage, and the disciples still fixated on Ah, is this when the kingdom's going to be restored to Israel? We're going to get rid of the hated Romans and Israel's going to be great again. Lord, will you this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father's fixed by his own authority. But verse 8, let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, speaking of this intentionality, uh, that's a noun form. <laughs> that's a big word. I don't even use intentionality. It's got to be a noun form rather than intentional action. The intentional being the adjective form. This intentional action that took place. It's not something, this spread of the good news didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by, uh, it wasn't some kind of coincidence. It wasn't incidental. It wasn't happenstance. It was actually intentional, the spread of the good news. I want, to, I want to frame this just with a couple of quick things before we go any farther. One is, I've never known anyone who got married by accident. They might have, but there were probably some extreme circumstances under which that happened. Uh, somebody got married by accident. We don't think of someone getting married by accident. Also, and I learned preaching in Texas and in Alabama, it's always good to use a, a football reference. 
Um, this is not what is called in football, this is not what's called a scoop and score. Uh, a scoop and score is when someone on offense fumbles and the defense scoops it up and the defensive guy runs for a touchdown and scores. The offensive guy didn't mean to fumble. The defensive team actually didn't plan to score on that play, but it happened. It was not intentional, but it was a scoop and score. Or the other term is a pick six, where the defensive back intercepts and runs for a touchdown. That also was not intentional. Uh, it was hopeful on the part of defense, but it wasn't intentional on the part of the offense or the defense. It wasn't a scoop and score. It wasn't a pick six. This intentional spread of the good news was not accidental. It wasn't incidental. It was intentional. Quickly, I want to share that they were intentional. These disciples were intentional about, the, uh, about their belief. They were intentional about their belief. They didn't just fall into it. Remember, they had a lot of opportunities to turn away from Jesus. And on the night of his, um, night of his trial, many of them did. But uh, they were intentional in their belief. It was not passed down to them from grandparent or necessarily in something that they acquired um, by some kind of means other than them personally believing. Each of these disciples personally believed. They were intentional in their belief. Which, which leads to the point that they were intentional in sharing this belief. Now, here's what I want to talk about seeing this unfold in the life of the apostles before us. They were intentional in sharing their belief. First of all, they were intentional in their obedience. You notice here in verse 4, it says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. In this intentional sharing of the, of the good news, there were two things that took place, first of all. One was an intentional obedience. Let's contrast that with unintentional obedience. Uh, mother tells her son, be sure while I'm gone to take out the trash. While mother's gone, son makes a mess in the kitchen. It goes, oops, cleans it up, puts it in the trash, and takes it outside. But he totally forgot what his mother told him to do. Mother gets home. She's very excited the trash is gone and, and commends him for that. And he's thinking, hmm, wow, I actually forgot to do that. <laughs> That's kind of a weak illustration, but I hope it sets the stage. It was, for him, it was an unintentional result, if you will. His mother was looking for obedience, asking, ordering him to do something, take the trash out while I'm gone. Unintentional. For these guys, it was an intentional obedience. They went to Jerusalem and they waited. And the time frame, it tells us, from this, we, we piece it together from this 40-day period till the time when he was at the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days, there was a 10-day period where they went to Jerusalem, intentionally obeyed, and they waited for the promise of the Father, this coming down of the Holy Spirit upon them. It was an intentional obedience. Secondly, as the story goes on, which we're not going to take time to read in detail, but they were intentional in their prayer intentional in their prayer. These were two foundational things that set the stage for this intentional spread of the good news and intentional obedience on their part. And we read they were together in an upper room, it says, an upper chamber for 10 days, for 10 days. And it says while they were there, they were praying. They were waiting, 120 of them, including, interestingly, including Jesus' mother, Mary. They were intentionally praying. For me, prayer is a sign of our dependence upon God. We've talked about it being communication with God. We've talked about listening to God. It's talking and so on. But it is all of that. But for me, underlying, it is, it is a sign of our dependence upon God. So they, they were given the word. They obeyed. They went and they prayed. And that laid the foundation for what they're getting ready to do. It's fa fabulous. And then, of course, we get into chapter 2. And something happens. As a person who works in languages, I would have loved to be. Any event in the history of the world, I'd love to have been present at. These people started speaking languages they'd never learned. And spoke them fluently. 
And those languages were from every known place, north, south, east, and west of Jerusalem. Fabulous. It was God at work in a powerful way, showing himself in response to obedience and in response to prayer. Um, I'll mention this again in just a moment, talking about the church in Korea, but also not accidental that we've seen an explosion of the church in Korea, but a church known for its prayer. As the Koreans call it, they don't call it 24-7 prayer. The Koreans call it 24-7-365. Passion about prayer, continued, continued, continued expression of their dependence upon God. So this intentional obedience and intentional prayer was foundational to this intentional spread of the good news about Jesus Christ, which they themselves have been intentional about in their belief. Now, let's talk about an intentional strategy. I want to turn over to Acts chapter 13 just for a moment. Oh, by the way, you see this throughout Acts. Uh, chapters, when Jesus said, uh, wait, in Jerusalem, you be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That verse is a beautiful outline of the whole book of Acts. Because chapters 1, uh, one through 8, um, 1 through 8 is a picture I'm sorry, 1 through 7, a picture of the uh, ministry in Jerusalem, and then 8 through 12 of how this good news is going around in Judea and Samaria, and then chapters 13 to 28 is a picture of how this good news spreads to the ends of the earth, their known world. Paul even mentions in Romans, doesn't he? He said he desired to go to Spain, to this end of the earth. If you can imagine those days, how far away that was, and they're, uh, and they're going about with the good news. Starting in chapter 13... They had an intentional strategy. Paul and Silas, John Mark, Paul and Barnabas, John Mark and Silas, and what's called the beginning of Paul's missionary journey. So this is missionary journey number one. They're ready to go. An intentional strategy, an intentional strategy to take this good news where his name was not known. And Paul said after his conversion, which takes place in the previous chapters, take this good news to a place where it was not known. An intentional strategy. Now think with me just for a minute. It didn't just happen these guys got together to make it happen. They got together to plan and carry it out, commission each other. They prayed. And you start in chapter 13, verse 4. Paul and Barnabas on their way. Sent out by the Holy Spirit. It starts listing the places they went. I want to pause here and just mention an intentional strategy that I see in this church. I've mentioned it to people and someone said to me, you keep saying that. And I say, yes, I do, because I don't want you to miss it. I don't think, I, I don't know what you know. I don't know how much you realize that a church missions conference every year is becoming more and more of a rarity. I've been at this for over three decades, and I can tell you that it's becoming more and more of a rarity. I know that, it, like I mentioned, I know it takes a lot of work to make this happen. It takes a lot of investment of time and finance and personnel and planning and checklists and buying and housing, and I believe it's worth it. And I was praying this morning, I believe one way that's really worth it, if, if, if it's not just for the adults and the older folks like myself, it's for your children. I grew up in a church where missions was never mentioned. I was in my 20s before I ever met a missionary. <laughs> before I ever personally met a missionary. In my 20s. So I want to, I want to say that you never know. I know, the, I know this church missions conference is for you, us, it's for your children. Keep planting those seeds. It's an intentional part of this strategy. So it's an intentional strategy. These guys had this strategy. And I want to talk about the strategy moving over and back up a few pages, back in chapter 6. 
I told McCracken last night I was going to preach from Genesis to the maps, but actually just in Acts, if that's okay. Um, something interesting happens in chapter 6. This strategy, this intentional strategy, and of course we can talk more about that. There's an intentional giving that takes place. Giving that takes place. We're not going to read these passages, but in chap- starting in chapter 6, there were some widows who were being overlooked in the day, what's called the daily distribution of food. I don't, what that looked like, some kind of meals on wheels, I'm not sure, but the, they, it says it right at the beginning of this chapter, and so the ones who are involved in teaching and preaching said we need to appoint some people who are involved with helping to carry out these tasks of the church. But it was a giving to make sure that the needs were being met. A verse that Parker referenced earlier from 2 Corinthians, it's in 8 and 9 about this giving, intentional giving for the work of the church. Um, taking up offerings for those who've been part of a famine and so on. It's been part inbred of the church for this giving. Fascinating to me, and just realized it, fascinating to me that as they chose seven people to, to be involved in this daily distribution for the widows. You know the first one in that list? He's listed in verse 5. Stephen. Who was the first Christian martyr? Stephen. He wasn't a preacher. He was one involved in helping with the daily distribution of food. And taking care of the widows, the church, again, this church that was intentionally going out and sharing throughout Jerusalem in this part, sharing, going out, sharing that good news, intentionally giving and helping others. The first Christian martyr was Stephen involved in that, the giving. Let's talk about this intentional giving, which led now to an intentional going. Going. This obedience, this prayer, this strategy this giving. Let's, let's talk about this going. I mentioned Jerusalem to Bruton. I mentioned the spread that we see in Acts of people who came to Jerusalem, who heard these guys speak in languages that they knew they didn't learn, who accused them of being out, uh, inebriated, drunk. <laughs> um, I found that in a place where... where um, Tongues get loose and they say, oh, I, the guys, they had already learned those languages. They got drunk and then suddenly they had it in there all the time and the alcohol removed all inhibitions and that's why they can speak these languages they never learned. That's the reason. Nothing to see here. Everybody go home. No. The Holy Spirit was at work in a powerful way. As, as Pentecost scholar Howard Irvin said, the Holy Spirit took the most unruly member of the human body and brought it under complete control. <laughs> The Holy Spirit used this language. He used wind and fire. He used this, this group of people, if you will, to share this good news and to go. And so they, they went. Now, this list of apostles back in chapter 1, the guys who had gathered in the upper room, is it any coincidence that the apostles were all, except one, all of them died for their faith? All of them were martyred except, we're told, John. All of them. So an intentional going, two of them, Peter probably the most famous and that he famously said, I don't want to be, I can't, Peter was crucified himself, but he said, I will not be crucified in the same direction as my Lord. And church tradition is he was crucified upside down. I was just reading a, a, a Christian from southern India who was talking about the spread of the church in India. You know who the, the one of these apostles who went to India? Thomas. <laughs> we were talking about Tom McMillan yesterday, hoping for the gospel of Thomas. Thomas went to southern India 
And that's where this good news... Today, we go to southern India, you see the Christian church there that has spread, that has grown, has taken a foothold. That's where the major Christian population of India has been located historically. It's been in southern India. Why? Because of Thomas. Remember, doubting Thomas? What was the position he finally reached? My Lord and my God. Jesus' words to him, blessed are you, Thomas. You have, you have seen and believed. Blessed are those who haven't seen. That's me. Is that you? But yet have believed. These guys who were intentional on their belief, intentional on sharing their belief, and Thomas went, and Thomas was martyred in southern India for this good news. An intentional going. Now, none of us are old enough to know this and remember this, but there was a time there was no Christian witness in a place called Bruton, Alabama. There was no Bible here. There was no hospital here that had been established through Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist. There was no outreach on behalf of the church. There was a time in the history of the world in which there was no gospel witness and now in a place called Bruton, Alabama. Somehow the gospel got from Jerusalem to Bruton. Ruth Tucker captured this in her book, not about Bruton, but a book entitled From Jerusalem to Erie and Jaya, The Spread of the Good News. She uh, church historian who captured how the gospel spread from Jerusalem throughout the world, even to a remote province in Indonesia, a province that I have, uh, I have visited and I, I can testify it's remote. <laughs> I'm thinking about a time when there was no Bible in Bruton. You know how it got here? Did it get here by accident? Now, I hope you find this humorous. There was, a t- there, was a, there was a written record in early church history of a Presbyterian missionary working in the Kentucky frontier. It was at the same time there was a Methodist missionary working in the Kentucky frontier who's, who was called Two-A-Day McCabe. Mr. McCabe was planting and known for starting two churches every day. Mario, he was planting churches every day, two of them every day, throughout the Kentucky frontier. Mario's a church planter. If you can imagine, Mario, two a day, start and go, start and go, get the group together and go. They called him two a day McCabe. He was the same time, kind of time frame as I recall that this Presbyterian missionary wrote in his journal, I can't go into a single house on the Kentucky frontier where the Methodists haven't already been. This Methodist, these Methodist guys, whether it's McCabe or anybody else or a different time frame, they were intentional about what the Presbyterians, if you come to our part of Alabama, you see Presbyterian churches all over the place. They didn't start by accident, folks. They were in, it was intentional work. The Presbyterians who came throughout this region of America, it was intentional work. And it was a going that took place under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how these things have been established. I don't have time this morning. But I realized this morning I should tell you this, just in passing, at least. There is one who opposes this work intentionally. One who is intentional about discouragement. One who is intentional about deception. One who is intentional about lies. And one thing you probably don't hear us missionaries talk about that often, but if you uh, cornered us and really let our hair down, Maybe I should use a different illustration. Um, one, of the, one of the major tough spots in mission work is with teammates. You'd think we'd all love Jesus together and we'd all get along, right? I can tell you from being involved in mission leadership 
it's a, it's a constant point of return of discussion of how are we going to get over this hard spot that somehow the enemy has gotten involved. He looks like he snuck in. We didn't see it coming. He saw it coming. It was intentional on his part. And I put that in passing for you today to remember that this intentional going out of the good news has been opposed by the enemy at every turn. And I see it in the work I'm involved in. I'll tell you what, in a country like Solomon Islands, where I'm privileged to work, a Christian country. Back then, I've rarely met anyone in Solomon's who didn't claim the name of Jesus. I can tell you in the middle, just somewhere in the first third of my last visit there, just a few months ago, I woke up one morning feeling terrible. I saw things happening, and I realized, what in the world is going on? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And started praying and saying, God, we've got to get past this. Intentional going. And I'll quickly just share with you uh, the going that we've seen. Um, Mongolia. One of the great stories of Christian mission in the last quarter of a century. Do you know it said that in, it, by 1990, there were like four Christians, one, two, three, four Christians in Mongolia. We learned at the third Lausanne International Congress on World Evangelization in Cape Town, South Africa in 2008, um, uh, sorry, in 2010, that the number of Christians in Mongolia had gone to at least 10,000. Two Bible translations, I know some about that. The Bible schools, Bible bookshops, radio ministries. It's one of the great stories in the last, the latter part of the 20th century. Um, we learned that two places in the Islamic world where the gospel is growing faster than ever. One's in the news a lot. It's called Iran. Another in the news, not too much, and that's Algeria. But a place, with those of you know anything about Algeria, you wouldn't expect it. And as an Egyptian pastor told a friend of mine, weeping, I'm sorry. He said, um, our people have traditionally come to faith through dreams. That's how God has been working in our culture. But he pointed to my friend and said, since you people gotten involved in Bible translation, 95% of the people now come to faith through the word of God. It's a big change. And that word of God coming through a lot of hardship, a lot of intentional work. A going. It's an intentional going. 3,350 languages of the world with at least one published book of scripture. That's, that's been a result of intentional going. Intentional going. And I also want to mention, uh, in terms of going, I want to mention Korea. I knew my great-grandmother. Would, that's, I say that to, to bridge the gap of, of time. My great-grandmother was eight years old before the first church was planted in Korea. My great-grandmother was eight years old before the first Christian church was planted in Korea. Now, guess what country in the world? Guess what country in the world sends out more missionaries than any other next to the United States? Again, I take it back. It's intentional obedience, intentional prayer, and intentional giving. I walked into a church in Seoul one day, and guess the first thing they do to you? They hand you your tithing envelope. Yep, intentional giving. And I'll close by saying all of this leads to an intentional growing. Intentional growing. I flew once from Los Angeles to Denver. Beautiful late afternoon over the, over the Grand Canyon, over the Rocky Mountains. I was enthralled looking out the window. Sunset, enthralled. 
I was stepping off the plane, I asked the pilot, I said, how much of that did you fly on autopilot? He said, about 95%. Wow. You know what? The church hasn't grown by autopilot. It continues to be a daily work and a daily effort to see God work and do what he needs to. In a minute, Parker's going to come and talk about intentional giving, which is all tied together in this intentional growing. Folks, we are part of an amazing body worldwide. We are part of the only major religion in the world that does not have to worship in the language of its founder and does not worship. Aren't you glad we didn't have to worship in Hebrew or Aramaic this morning? It's a blessing. The only major religion in the world in which those who follow do not worship in the language of their founder. Aren't you thankful this morning that this gospel has been embedded in cultures around the world? You listen to our, our brothers and sisters share. It's how is this gospel embedded where we're living and how does it grow and not, not look like something else, but look like the place where it's planted so that it can take on the texture and, and all that's going on around it. And that's what we're reading here in the book of Acts. These people are meeting the people where they were, what their needs were, and going forward from there. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your, your people obeyed you. <laughs> Father, they didn't just say, oh yeah, good idea, let's go do something else. Lord, your people obeyed you. And they committed their way to you in prayer. And you gave them strategies of mind and heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, you put on their heart to give. You showed them, Lord, how to go. And Lord, we are seeing the fruit of the growing today. We give you thanks for that, Lord. Uh, thank you for this body of believers in Bruton, Alabama that reaches out around the world and in this community. And thank you, Father, for your testimony here. And we thank you for those early pioneers who brought the good news to this place that came to be called Bruton. We bless their memory today. But Lord, we especially thank you for Jesus, for his death and resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out this work. May you continue to be glorified, Lord, at First Presbyterian Bruton. And pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.